Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to launch your startup business with limited resources. Today, we have our guest, Melissa Kwan, joining us. Uh, Melissa is the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar, a revolutionary SaaS company that helps people automate repetitive webinars and achieve a better work-life balance. With over 12 years of experience in startups and three successful companies, Built without VC backing, Melissa is a revenue-driven founder specializing in sales and business development, which we'll talk about today. So welcome, Melissa. Super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Akhil. <laughs> so, so let's start off with that, right? Like, let's just get to the point where, you know, founders are starting off. They have so many options to decide where to spend their marketing, how to, how to uh, invest their budget or whatever they do have with very, very limited uh, budget that they do have, right? There's so many options from, you know, TikTok to starting a podcast to doing webinars. As a SaaS founder, how do you, or how did you uh, think about prioritizing your sales efforts, um, you know, being a bootstrap company? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think being a bootstrap company, um, I mean, my background has always been in, in sales. So I've always been a revenue-driven founder. Um, I also, when I started my career, didn't realize there was such thing as VC funding and being able to build a company on other people's money. So, um, you know, always really focus on profit and, and customer funding in order to to fund the team and, and myself and keep the company going. Um, but I think as a bootstrap founder, um, the only thing that I think about is if I spend this dollar, um, what kind of return is it going to give me? Right? Like, I think there's only two ways to get to profit, which is increased revenue and, and um, lower costs. So every dollar we spend has to be used towards either gaining a customer or retaining a customer. It's it's one of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe in working more. I think there's a lot of, you know, kind of hustle culture around needing to work more. Um, but I do believe that we need to work more creatively. And I think as a bootstrap founder with very little resources, um, you need to think about as many ways to work, you know, create as creatively as possible. So um, how do you lower your workload? How do you scale yourself? How do you lower customer interactions? How do you put as much information out there so that when somebody comes to you, um, they are kind of half sold and, and like halfway there? Um, so these are just like some of the things that, that I think about is like, where can I have the highest return of my dollar and not necessarily how can I spend the least, right? I, I don't think that's mm. a great way of thinking about a business because I, I do think that, you know, sometimes you do need to spend money um, where, you know, where you need to get that return, but it, it's always looking for that like highest return per dollar. Yeah, I think that's the difference in the mentality, right? Versus when you're bootstrapping versus, you know, VC, you know, raising VC capitals, you know, you have to think twice and, you know, try and find that best channel that does give you the highest return versus I think with VCs, you can go and test, you know, five or 10 different strategies. And you know that maybe, you know, seven of them or eight of them will fail and it's okay. And, you know, the two or three work out, right? So it just gives you more to to play with, I think. Would you, would you yeah, I mean, that? I think the goal is like a little different when you have a VC back company, right? Like your goal is probably to raise the next round um, and you need to get certain metrics. I mean, you would probably know better than me. So you could correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong as well. Um, but your, if your goal is for growth, um, and to show growth and to show revenue growth and to chase the next round, then you're not looking at, you know, profitability, right? So you're spending money to, to kind of buy that growth for that next, um, 
you know, for, you know, for, for that next raise, um, versus as, you know, a, I guess a bootstrap founder is you're like, you're literally just looking at like, when am I going to break even? And what is that zero cash state? Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, with so many, um, you know, one option that people generally look at when they're looking to invest their capital, they're probably gonna look at, you know, paid marketing as a, as a, as an area they want to invest in. But, uh, before kind of allocating and, and, you know, spending money, we want to look at what are some maybe free marketing channels that work and maybe we can leverage as SaaS founders and are often overlooked. Is there any that you can share that you, you've liked and seen that worked well? Yeah. I mean, I think if paid marketing works, like if, if it's a channel that works, um, that would be amazing. <laughs> right. But I think paid is like getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Even for people ha- that who have money, right? Because we're we're mm-hmm. just getting so distracted, and and there's just so many people, so many different channels that are out there that you can dump money into, um, and a lot of people that are willing to spend that money aren't looking for you know immediate return. Um, unfortunately, as a bootstrap company, the amount of money that you can spend on paid is not even meaningful enough to show mm-hmm. any sort of return, like any, right. like it doesn't move the needle at all. And and the thing is, we've tried it. Right. Like the mm-hmm. most that we can throw money in is like one to two thousand a month. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like someone that had, that does ad buying would just kind of like like laugh, like we just kind of laugh mm-hmm. at that amount. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's not even enough to like test the title, for example. So mm-hmm. I would say, like, I mean, luckily I've had, you know, two two previous startups before this. Um, so I've built up over time um clients that I've worked with in the past, right? Like vendor partners that I've worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say like when we talk about zero zero dollar marketing, it's also um, you know sales because um, I, I guess I've I've been lucky that that's my background. But mm-hmm. some of the ways that I've been able to get um, get this off the ground is like literally just make a list of people like right before the the company launched, like the product was ready to bring on the, its first customer. Yeah, I just made a list on Google Sheet of every single person that I know that I've met, like went through my phone, went through my own emails, every person, every company, their email, their phone, um, if I have it. And I just went down the list to contact them to let them know what I'm doing next. Hmm. So I guess it's like part marketing, part sales, but it's it's really founder-led sales. And that's just kind of how the way it has to go in the first place. And then when people are excited about the idea, then I invite them to, um, you know, a next call, which is usually to onboard onto the product. But because we don't have time for any beta or alpha, um, they know when they're onboarding the product, there is a trial end date. So everybody Mm -hmm. that, you know, tries the product, they know they're coming on to pay. They're not testing this for me for fun. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the way that I approached it because I, Again, like don't have a choice, um, don't have a lot of capital behind me. Like my myself and my co-founder had to invest, um, you know, our capital and our time. Mm-hmm. So the first person that comes on board knows that they're paying, how much they're paying, and when that trial end date is. Um, and then I think the best people to refer you to new customers are the people who are already supporting you. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the the people that are supporting you in the beginning are are you know, friends or friends or friends of yours. So anyone who is excited about the product and willing to try it, I always ask them for referrals. Okay. And I don't think that this is something people do enough, um, mm. but it's free. Right? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. yeah, one lead can turn into one to three. Like I mm-hmm. don't really ask for one. I say like, hey, are, are there, you know, three companies or three people you have in mind that you mm. think I can get get in touch with um, that could use this? If they say yes, I write it down. And then I push even further and say, oh, you know, would you mind putting me in touch with him? I'll, yeah. you know, write you an affordable email or, or something like that. Right. Um, and of course, like 
you know, things that other people try that I, we've tried as well, um, that are free or like product hunt, mm-hmm. um, getting listed on as many directories as possible, mm-hmm. right? Cause you're a new company and what you want is for people to think that you have existed yeah. or you, you're legitimate when they Google like eWebinar or whatnot. You don't want to be fresh, mm-hmm. right? So I think we made probably made a list of like over a hundred different directories online that we just went out to, to get listed in. And they can mm-hmm. be like software review sites or, you know, something like that. It doesn't matter what the domain rating is. It doesn't matter where they are. Like we just want to get listed. Right. Right. Cause we, we want to show up. Um, and then, you know, you, you basically go down your Rolodex and you see like which one of your friends have a blog or is a journalist or knows a journalist. Um, you know, the big, the big blogs and the big, you know, big, um, media companies are just not going to write it about you. Right. Like they right. need, you'd have some sort of funding or, you know, some, some sort of PR company go through them. But there are a lot of smaller blogs, right? It could be, you know, industry focused, role focused, um, people that you might have worked with in the past that are willing to write something about, you know, you launching your company. It could be a, you know, it could be a local kind of tech blog. Uh, it, it really, in the beginning, it just doesn't matter how okay. small it is. Um, but these are, you know, some of the ways to kind of like get your name out there and then, once you get the ball rolling, um, there are, you know, other people that start coming to you and, and things like that. So when, when you drafted that first list you mentioned, so these are people you know, and you reached out to them and said, hey, this is what I'm working on. Um, what are exactly are you telling them? Like, this is what I'm working on, just a next, this is my next project. And I'm looking, are you specifically asked them, say, I'm looking for trial users, or are you just throwing it out there and seeing how, what the interest looks like? Yeah, so I have never believed in like testers. So I never approach Mm -hmm. it from that angle. I know it's pretty common, Mm -hmm. but having spent like over 10 years in selling enterprise, it's just Mm -hmm. so hard to get a free user, like a beta user to pay, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like when people think that they're beta, they're approaching it with a critical eye. And then it's really hard to get them out of that mindset of, well, I'm just testing this new thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I approach it from, and, and because we did that, we probably took about six months longer to build the product because I wanted my MVP not to be an MVP. I wanted my MVP to be the minimal viable product somebody would pay for. And that's a mm-hmm. very different concept, right? Like, what is that product that people are willing to take out their credit card for? So when I approach people, it wasn't, of course, it wasn't just anybody, right? Like the problem that eWebinar is solving, like turning videos into webinars and helping people do repetitive demos and onboarding and training. Like that's a, that's a problem that I know intimately well, because I lived this problem for five years in my previous startup. So mm-hmm. the people that I got in touch with, um, like the first at least 150 people that I got in touch with, they are people and companies that I know have the same problem. Mm-hmm. So their role is probably a founder of a, you know, of a small, medium sized company, or they are customer success teams or trainers of medium and large companies. So I know that they're doing these things. So what I did was I just reached out to them and said, Hey, this is my next project. This is what I'm doing. Spent a year and a half building this. This is, you know, this is how I came up with the problem. Um, is this something that you guys experience in your company? Mm. And, you know, they'll either say yes or no, but I think I probably got like a 90% yes because I just, I I knew, like, I just knew that problem so well. And then once they say yes, I would be like, hey, would you be interested to be one of our first customers? If you Mm -hmm. are, then we're giving our first batch of customers a 60-day free trial instead Mm -hmm. of a 14. 
Um, and then you can test it out as, as much as you want. And if you want to keep the subscription, uh, subscription, we're mm-hmm. going to start charging on this date and this is how much it's going to be. Interesting. And, and from that, you know, 150, how many of those actually became, you know, trial users? Uh, and then my, my question to that is, uh, adding to that is, you know, if there's folks who don't have an existing list, we're talking about no budget, you know, zero money to spend on sales and marketing, but the, the, the strategy probably still works. If you don't have that list, um, would you recommend maybe building one, you know, a little colder list, but still fits that? I mean, in, in your case, you had that relationship, but would you think it would also work, uh, you know, in that case, if you don't have an existing uh, relationship and network? Yeah, I mean, everybody starts somewhere, right? Mm. The the reason, the the where did this list come from? It came from my last startup. Mm, okay. <laughs> my last startup was completely built off cold calling and cold emails. Mm. Like it, you have to start somewhere, but yeah. I think it doesn't have to be people that you are actually selling to, mm. right? The first list could be your first ten friends or your ten friends that you that you've met at a at another tech startup. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, your old professor or like who, whoever you're selling to, like that, that audience, like I'm sure you know some people that are out there. Mm-hmm. And there are also like thriving communities like, you know, um, you know, Nathan Lyka's founder led community on Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, or like the customer success group on Slack, like, or the product led group on Slack. There are so many people out there, whether they're founders or executives of, like different sizes of startups that are super eager and willing to help. So I would encourage like Mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't think they have a community already to Mm -hmm. go out to those communities, like whether it's on Slack or Facebook or LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and just start like, like putting some fishing lines out there and ask for help and say, Hey, I'm looking for feedback and never hang up the phone before you ask for some referrals. And Mm -hmm. eventually, like, I think you build your, your, your list that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, of course, through these calls, you have to come up with a script that, yeah. you know, eventually helps you close. If not the next sale, then first the next referral. Hmm. Awesome. And um, let's talk a little bit more about, so, so we're kind of talking about what social selling, the the topic of social selling. When you, can you share some of the, what that means exactly? What is the, why is it important when it comes to, you know, building trust, validating your product in the market and uh, maybe how we can do that with our own companies? Yeah, I mean, social selling is something that kind of like hit me in the face <laughs> like a year after yeah. I launched the company. Like I just didn't know it was a thing. Um, having spent my previous two startups and then my career before that in mm-hmm. like enterprise sales, which is really sold through sales led mm-hmm. and cold calling and going to conferences and doing trade shows. Mm-hmm. Like I had no idea that there was a product led, customer led or like social selling world out there for mm-hmm. the price point of product that I'm in today. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a shock to me because the, the methods that I'm talking about, right? Going to your list, asking for, for referrals, reaching out through, you know, Zoom or or emails, like you will exhaust that, yeah. especially if you're selling a product that's under a certain price point. Like yeah. our product starts at a hundred bucks. So if you are, yeah, a month. So yeah. if you're selling enterprise and each one of your deals is, you know, 10 to hundred K, like you can keep doing that. And, yeah. you know, People, people will pick up the call because that's how people buy. Yeah. But if you're selling like a $50 product or a hundred dollar product, like, yes, you do what I just said to get this off the ground. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, that's just not how people buy hundred dollar products. So mm-hmm. people that aren't 
like warm-ish leads are just not going to respond to that type of sales. Mm -hmm. So when I exhausted my network, which is probably like nine to 12 months after the product launch, I started looking at how other companies in my price point were were selling. Mm -hmm. And then talking to other founders that I found through these Slack groups to ask them what they were doing. And then I realized that People were, you know, building communities on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, like wherever their their prospects or their audience, was, you know, lives. And that's kind of when I learned that social selling is is now a thing. Yeah. Um, and it's in, you know, I write on LinkedIn four or five times a week, just on my mm-hmm. experience bootstrapping three startups. Um, and I only did that about a year ago. But the, you asked about importance is, mm-hmm. I think for the first time, um, people care more, like at least just as much, but I think they care more about the people behind the product than the product itself. If that makes sense. It's like, I'm not buying this like Louis Vuitton wallet anymore. Yeah. It's like, I'm buying the mission behind this. Like, where's this leather from? Who are the founders? Where is it made? And and like, what is the story? Right. And we're doing that with yeah, we're doing that with like consumer products and with restaurants yeah. and food and farm to table. And mm-hmm. now I'm kind of seeing that trend with software and mm-hmm. like just just courses and media. It's like, who's behind it? Let me read about that person. <laughs> and all that information is accessible. So why social selling is important is you as a founder, and if your company's bigger, maybe it's an, it's an executive. When people look up the product, they're not looking up the product itself. They're looking up the mission behind the company and where the founders are coming from. And what have they written online? Do I trust this person? Do I feel like I have a relationship with this person through what they have put out there? And Mm. I'm seeing this becoming a bigger trend. Um, and that's why, like, I, I feel like a lot of founders are, are doing what we're doing, like just podcasting, having conversations, um, building credibility and trust through yeah. all these multiple different channels. Right. So it's essentially like, you know, influencer marketing now, rather than people selling, you know, their, their physical product and promoting what they have or what they believe in, people are now, you know, influenced and, and buying products or, you know, services or software, which could, Maybe a decision that lasts for you know years for, with your company based on uh, you know some, some with some kind of validation from the from the market. Um, it, it almost yeah. feels like there's like an added accountability if mm, you know the, who's on the other side. Like right, I right. feel that way right That's right now. True. I'm looking for onboarding software. There's probably twenty right a mm-hmm. minimum of twenty mm-hmm. when I mm-hmm. look for onboarding software on Google, but mm-hmm. there's only one or two that I constantly see on LinkedIn. Like whether mm. their founders posting something or whether their, you know, head of marketing is is posting something, and I've interacted with them, uh, you know, just through text, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I like their content. I'm on their newsletter, and I actually, for some reason, feel like I know them, and mm-hmm. I feel like if there's something that goes wrong with the software, that I can reach out to them to fix it. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I don't know if that's true, but it's mm-hmm. just a feeling that I have from, you know, a few interactions that I have. So I can only equate that to my customers and, and the prospects that are out there that are looking for something that we do. That, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if I'm I'm looking at two products that are very similar, like let's call it a webinar product. If I don't, I mean, the functionality is probably very similar. Uh, pricing is, you know, plus or minus very similar. And then, you know, if, if all things are fairly equal and the only difference is, you know, I know the founder. Uh, behind this uh, product, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely most likely to go. That'll, that'll be, be a probably a bigger decision make, a decision around it if everything else was equal. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. And so you mentioned, you know, uh, find, going into communities as a founder, you know, such, such as like Nathan Latka's group and, and a few others, but that's for, you know, yourself as a founder uh, to get feedback for your product. And then the other side is understanding where your your customers are hanging out, right? What are some ways to find yeah. out uh, where to find them to get insights on their behaviors, their preference needs, you know, do some, ask them some questions, get insights. Uh, where should I be looking to find those those people or groups? Yeah, so um, one of the most valuable exercises that I did about, I would say like five, six months into product launch was reach out to like our 10 most active, you know, biggest customers and ask them for like a one hour interview. Mm. And in that, in- the, the purpose of that interview was to find out, you know, are we solving their problem? How are we solving it? How do they describe the problem that we're solving? Like we're just extracting marketing language from them so that we could rewrite our website. Because mm. um, we wanted to refresh our website with the language that we guessed to, you know, um, to update, to, to update it with a language that our, that our, that our customers are using. Mm-hmm. And I have like a 48 question questionnaire that I use for every single customer. But the oh. last set of questions is actually like, where do you hang out? So mm-hmm. I think the best way to find out is you just find your 10 best customers, the people that care about you the most, the people that spend the most money with you. And you just ask them, Hey, like, what are some, you know, podcasts that you listen to? What are some blogs that you follow? What are some forums that you're a part of? How do you learn about, you know, things in your space? Uh, what are some Slack groups that you join? If you have a question, who do you ask, right? Like these kind of questions. And then you basically just find out like where they hang out and then you go and kind of like join all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, I think that's the easiest way because then you don't have to guess. Would you say do you see any overlap among uh, where place people hang out from those top people, 10 people? Yeah, I mean, if you're serving, I think a certain industry or a certain role, like there aren't that many things out there, especially like that are good, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's a lot of Slack communities, for example, a lot of forums, but there's not a lot that are like active. Yeah. And how you define active is like you put a question out there, you get a response in 10 minutes. Like there's probably just a handful of those, yeah. right? And then so they kind of start to overlap. Um, but, you know, as a as a vendor, um, like if, if anyone's listening to this and they're a software company, like as a vendor, it's very unlikely that you can go into those communities and, and start selling yourself because a lot of those communities are actually like, quote unquote, vendor free, even mm-hmm. though everybody everybody's like indirectly selling. But mm-hmm. those communities is where you can get like, you know, lists of companies or, you know, problems that your customers are trying to solve and then you could like use some of those things in your marketing and then some of the content that you create as well. Mm. And when it comes to, uh, so we're talking about joining communities, finding communities for yourself, finding communities for your, uh, your customers. Then the other side is also building and creating your own audience and community in order to promote your SaaS, to talk with your customers, to see that you're there and that you have, um, you know, some kind of engagement with them. Can you talk about what is, how, what is the importance of that and how you know, we can create your own audience? Or community? Yeah, I mean, I think the importance of all that is like, you want to exist, right? That, that I, I would say like, that's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. the most important thing is somebody Googles mm-hmm. you, you want to exist. Yeah, It's like a restaurant. I want to look at this restaurant and I'm mm-hmm. going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to Yelp or Google Maps and, I'm, and then I'm going to click on the reviews and I'm going to read what people say about you. Exactly. And I think that's very similar nowadays to software or the founders behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if I if I'm looking at the software, I'm looking at this person, I'm gonna just type in Google and see what comes up. I'm gonna go to your LinkedIn profile, I'm gonna to, gonna to go to your Twitter profile, I'm gonna look up your YouTube channel and see if you put up any recent content. I'm gonna to go to my favorite podcast app and then see if you exist and see what you sound like. 
Mm. Like, this is just what people do. They're like, like everyone's like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I think the importance of constantly generating content for your audience is you're constantly building credibility with the people that you want to win over and impress. Mm. And I think the way that you do that is consistency, right? I think it's easy to do like one big push, right? Because yeah. you're like, I, I just, you know, I just launched this thing. I want to, I, I want to make some revenue, and I'm going to go on this blitz. Mm. But it's like going to the gym, right? Like you sign yeah. up on New Year's, you go for a month, and then you don't. It's e so easy to not go anymore, right? But uh -huh. the most, you know, the most important thing is it's better instead of doing it like 30 times a month and never doing it, it's better mm -hmm. to do it like three times a week for the rest of the year. Yeah. Because then people yeah. are seeing you consistently and yeah. content does age. The content that ages doesn't show up on first page anymore. Yeah. Right. If your podcast doesn't, doesn't publish in the next week and somebody looks up your podcast, it's not going to appear on the first page. So I think that's the importance of consistency is like, no, like letting people know that you're active. But I think a byproduct of always generating, like creating new content in different channels is as a founder, it just keeps you sharp. Like yeah. it keeps your brain moving. Momentum is super important. And I think mm -hmm. those are, that's the one thing that I didn't realize would happen is like writing on LinkedIn once a day made me think about different things in my business that I never thought about before because people are also interacting with you and giving you ideas. And once you're out there a lot, then people start introducing you to other people that are mm -hmm. going to help you in your business, right? So you, it's almost like you never really know what's behind that other door. Um, but I would say like, you know, the best way to do it is just to, number one is to start. I know everybody says that, but keep doing it at a pace where you can keep up with. Because mm. you'd rather do that than just burn out. And then you could, you know, if you start slow, at least you can add to it later. But if you try to do everything at once, you're, yeah. you're just not going to do it after a couple of months. Right. It's like the gym, right? All, the results are a big part of that as well, right? You can go 30 days in a row and look at your body and see what happens versus, you know, just be consistent. And then, you know, one year down the line and you look at yourself and you're like, well, there's results. What happened? All yeah, it's like build, it's like up. building that habit, right? Like instead mm -hmm. of just like going to your CRM and saying, I'm going to follow up with Akil today, like mm -hmm. put something in your CRM that says, you know, on Monday, I'm going to write all my posts for, you know, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. um, you know, at three. On Tuesday, I'm going to, you know, do some research and ideate. Like every day you do one small task and mm -hmm. all of that will eventually compound. Do you feel there's a, I mean, there's one thing about writing content that I find in, but I'm, I'm curious how you deal with it is, you know, you wake up and you're like, Hey, I have to write on LinkedIn. And now you're, because you told yourself I have to write daily and maybe you don't have anything interesting to talk about, then you're kind of, you know, forcing to find content or, or is it just like, you know, what you feel like talking about, or do you just have that system where you have a lot of ideas and you just, you know, you always have so much to say. That's <laughs> super good question. <laughs> so, um, I didn't come up with this system myself, right? Like once I realized that there was such thing as social selling, mm -hmm. I started following this guy. I don't know if you know his name, Justin Welsh. Yeah. And he's a so, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, a, he's a solopreneur. He's kind yeah. of cracked the LinkedIn system. There's a way to do it. There's a method to do it. And he's a big systems guy. Mm -hmm. So I took his course. It was like, you know, it's pretty easy. It's, um, you know, there's work involved, but it's pretty short. Mm -hmm. um, and his whole thing is like, find the one thing that you're an expert in and just write about that. Like, I don't wake up and I say like, okay, today, what am I going to write about? You know, like that's mm -hmm. going to be really difficult. But I realized that the thing that defines me 
is that I'm a three times bootstrap entrepreneur. Like I've mm. done it for, you know, 12, 13 years. I have a lot of knowledge around bootstrapping and doing things with really limited resources. I built a company that allows people to scale themselves and scale their team. So that's all I write about. Every mm. single idea, every single post I write, write out there is about my experience bootstrapping and why I think bootstrapping is better than raising venture capital. Mm. And basically, I write once a week on Monday. On Monday, that is all I do. And okay. I write posts for this week and usually like Monday, Tuesday, next week. So I'm not like in a rush next Monday. Mm-hmm. But I keep a Google sheet. Uh, I'm I'm actually really hyper-organized. So that helps. Mm. Um, but I keep a Google sheet that's just like date, content, and that's it. Mm. And when I have ideas come to me, and it it could be when I'm out for a drink with my friends mm-hmm. or I'm walking down the street, I will mm-hmm. write that idea in that sheet. So I always have you know, in the future, at least Mm. 30 different ideas. Mm. And when it comes Monday, I turn that idea into a post. Mm. And then I also log like on on Shield app, like you can see your LinkedIn um, stats. I save all the most popular ones. And then I look at, you know, what the theme, like what the theme is for a particular post, for example. Mm. And then I might rewrite it. um, You know, if I run out of content or I might, uh, I might use the same post. I think I probably use like, 10 of the same posts in the same year. Uh, I try not to, but um, sometimes I'll make it longer or make it shorter. But I just see like what people respond to the most um, in the past. And then I'll usually write topics around that. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a really good system and framework. I have, we had Justin on the podcast as well. I haven't checked out his course, but I think that's that's a great advice. Just focus on one thing. I think that makes it so much easier. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Appreciate that. Cool. Uh, Melissa, This is uh, this has been great. We're going to... Move to the second part of the interview, though, if you're, if you're ready, the, the rapid-fire questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ready to do it? All right. Um, Melissa, what's one activity you enjoy outside of work that gets you into flow state? Um, I love watching TV. It's like kind of contrary to like, yeah, it's like kind of like, uh, you know, a thing that like a lot of founders don't do because they don't have a lot of time, Mm. but it's like the thing that I have to do like Mm. every, every night when Mm. like every night when my day ends, like that is what I do for at least like one or two hours. Nice. It works. Uh, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known? And if you can go back, you would tell your younger self, let's say 20 or 25 year old self. I don't know how old you are, but. Let's, let's use that range. Yeah, I would say you don't have to do something because you have experience in it. Go mm. and do something that you love and gives you energy. Um, had I known that, I wouldn't have spent 10 years doing something I was good at. Um, mm. I would have just looked for something that I actually loved and then found the skills to to build on that later. Interesting. I think that talks about the ik- ikigaki. Was it ikigai? Ikigai? Yeah. Ikigai, I mean, it's yeah. like, it's like somebody going to, you know, law school and yeah. chose it when they were 19. And then all of a sudden yeah. they're a lawyer, but they didn't really want to be a lawyer, but they were trained in a lawyer. And then all of a sudden they hate being a lawyer and then they're 40 and they're stuck in it. Right. I yeah. think we all kind of have a little bit of that because we think, oh, that's what I went to school for. This is my first job. This is my second job. I have to build a company in this thing. But you actually don't. Like you always have a choice and it's easier to acquire the skills to build on what you love um, than mm-hmm. I guess find something you're trained at and then try to love it after. Interesting. And then from there, I guess there's also part of like, you know, what you're good at and what you get paid for. So 
from there, you hope that you eventually get paid for it because you get good enough at it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow eWebinar? Meaning, what, what keeps you up at night these days? Well, as a bootstrap founder, <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> revenue. Mm. Um, you know, and and being able to hire good people and retain them um, at, you know, at reasonable rates now that mm. like we only outsource. So, um, you know, that, that opens up, you know, our, that opens up like, you know, the world kind of internationally, but it's still as nowadays, everybody's outsourcing. It's mm-hmm. getting harder and harder to not just find talent, but also retain them because there's so many choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, that is the thing that, that keeps me up at night because it's not something that we can throw money at. And it's something right. that other people are throwing money at. So we're, we're competing with that quite a bit. Mm. Um, who or what are some of the best three, three best resources? There can be books, mentors, or people you follow in the space who you'd say have been most instrumental to your success over these last few years. Yeah, I would say um, there are two books that have been my, my greatest influence. Uh, one is The Alchemist. Have you heard of it? I have. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, so it's it's not like a business book, but it's it's um you know it's about a boy that goes and searches for his dreams, and you know I think that's been a huge influence. It's always something that's given me a lot of hope. Uh, it's a book that I've read like minimum twenty times over the course of the last twenty years. Um, the second one is Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Um, it's it's a sales book, but it's more about like pre- presentation and communication. Uh, my entire kind of sales career and philosophy is built around that framework and that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third um, resource is, is actually a friend and mentor. Uh, his name is Lloyd Lobo. He started Traction Conference, uh, also started Boast.ai. Um, and he's mm-hmm. just someone that I look up to. Um, you know, it's just someone that kind of does his own thing and doesn't take any... You know, it doesn't take any shit from anybody and uh, always been, you know, a great friend to me. Nice. Awesome. We'll put those, uh, all three of those resources in the show notes. So if you guys want to check that out. Um, Melissa, what does success mean to you today? I mean, you've had two successful startups building on your third, growing, you know, uh, doing, seems like you're doing very well. Uh, how do you define success today? Whether personally, business, financially, life, I guess there's no right answer. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, um, in a very materialistic culture, um, grew up in Hong Kong and, and you're, you know, in those kind of big cities, you're, you're defined by what you have. And I grew up thinking that money was the only measure of success. Mm. Um, and I think to an extent it's, you know, it's still a measure of success. Um, but now I've learned that it's not the only measure of success. Mm. Um, the thing that I care most about now is freedom Mm. and community and experiences, mm-hmm. um, you know, experiences meaning like travel or going on trips with my friends or spending time with my friends. Um, money is important, but it is the thing that gets me the freedom to do more of the things I actually love. That is, you know, more than just working and money. So I think success to me is the ultimate freedom to do all the things that I love to do and as little of the things that I hate to do. <laughs> That makes sense. So it's just the fuel for being able to ex- have more experiences and uh, be free to choose your experiences, right? I think is what you're kind of saying. 
Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I do mm-hmm. like nice things. <laughs> well, and I like to go to nice places. So I'm not saying like, I think it's important to embrace your, you know, your desire for financial success if you want to be successful, but it's not the only thing that I chase. Right. It's not the money itself. It's like, what the, yeah. this is the result. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Cool. Melissa, this, is, this has been fantastic. Love, love talking with you. Um, so just, you know, last question to end up the, the episode, where can founders listening in, get in touch with you, learn about you, uh, and as well, check out eWebinar. Yeah, if you're curious about uh, eWebinar and see how it can help you scale your business and automate your own webinars, just go to eWebinar.com. It's exactly as it's spelled, eWebinar.com. There's a demo on on our site that you can join anytime. And if you have any questions for me or want to connect, I'm on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled Kwan, K-W-A-N. Awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa. I appreciate you being on today. Yeah, thanks so much, Akil. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.